All righty, everybody. Good Tuesday afternoon. A stellar, stellar day here in New York City. Wiz, how are you today? Pretty good. Not doing, uh, not doing that bad. Yeah, hanging, uh, hanging there. Getting, uh, getting uh, my my notes and uh, thoughts together after this. Uh, three-day NFL draft, and I think we're going to uh, break down the NFC today, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we did the AFC uh, in two parts, and we intend to do the same thing with the NFC, so we're, we're going to get right to it. Uh, NFC East, um, Dallas Cowboys came into this draft. Uh, I think they were in a situation where they needed help in a few different spots. Uh, I don't think it was in their wildest dreams on any mock draft board that anyone or they did that C.D. Lamb would be available to them at that spot. But in fact, he was. In fact, I think uh, at least three teams tried to trade up into that position. And the Cowboys, uh, Jerry on his yacht, decided that he was going to go with that player and C.D. Lamb was, was, was the pick. And I think, you know, with the rest of their selections, and I think, you know, a, a number of people had guys like Trayvon Diggs, who was cornerback from Alabama, as a potential first rounder, they got him with the 51st pick. The kid from Canada, Neville Gallimore, the Oklahoma defensive tackle at number 82. And we've talked a few times about about the Utah defense and and, and their defensive end Bradley and I at, at in the fifth round at pick 179. And Biotish from Wisconsin, their their center Frederick forced to retire due to a medical condition, and this is a potential replacement. So, Wiz, the Cowboys, are they ready to stake claim for the NFC East this year with this draft? I think so. Um, I like CeeDee Lamb. I think he's one of those uh, – he was one of the most polished, if not the most polished receiver. Um, you know, he, he, he's – I mean, you know, considering that they have two other good receivers in uh, Gallup and Cooper, he's not going to come in and, and uh, you know, go, go crazy with his numbers. But he's going to help them and, uh, and get better and better. Um so he he was a rock solid pick. They just had to take that player there. His value was too good. Trevon Diggs, I, I had him even going to the Vikings in the first round. I could see second round value is really good. Then the, the 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 Cowboys did really well with some of their picks even after the first two. Uh, Neville Gallimore, the Canadian bulldozer from Oklahoma, is uh, is a uh, is a one man wrecking crew in that defensive line. Um, and then Bradley and I from from Utah that they got in the fifth round. With 179. He is going to be a good compliment, actually, to uh, to Gallim to to Gallimore. Um, he really has great instincts. Gets after the passer. So overall, uh, the Cowboys had you know seven picks, and I think they did pretty well. Yeah, and I think we're going to get more specific in terms of fantasy impl- implications. You know, it's quite interesting. You know, look at statistics. They've added a stellar receiver to 2,000-yard receivers that they already have. Dak Prescott actually led the NFL last year in yards per attempt. So, you know, hopefully they get everything situated with his contract. That sort of stuff can become a distraction. But you got to be very interested in this offense moving forward. You know, and one other thing I'll say about, you know, Diggs getting chosen at pick 51. You listen to a senior analyst like a Bill Polian who's done this for the Bills. He did it for the Indianapolis Colts. He's a Hall of Fame GM. And when he talked about this particular draft, his comment on it was he had never seen so much first-round talent in the second and third rounds. And I think a a selection like Diggs kind of proves that point. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it just it was just a talent laden draft. A lot of a lot of players all over the board, uh, especially at the skill positions. Yeah, and I think it's hard to kind of give a lot of bad <clears throat> bad grades based on that. But you know, a few head scratches, and, we'll, and we will get to them. And hopefully, you're not scratching your head on my Giants. Um, you know, a lot of speculation uh, on that pick. What they were going to do it for? History said that you know you protect your assets in Daniel Jones and, and Saquon Barkley. I did. My heart was saying, "Hey, get get that top defender." But you know, I look at this draft now, and you know, the Giants really, really concentrated on the offensive line and their secondary with their first five picks. They really stayed away from offensive skill positions. They there is a need at linebacker on this team. They drafted four of them late late in this in this draft. But Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle from Georgia, at four. Xavier McKinney from Alabama at 36, the big dude from Connecticut, Matt Pert, and then Darnay Holmes from UCLA, uh, cornerback. So, Wiz, what do you think, my Giants here? I mean, I'm I'm actually happy when I look at this. I, I think you got to give it to them in 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 going where they needed help. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, look, the Giants have a lot of <clears throat> a lot of picks, and uh, they did well. Um, you know, as far as those first four offensive tackles, it seemed as it was getting closer and closer to the draft date, it seems Andrew Thomas had taken over the status of being the top guy, even to the point where there was rumors that the Dolphins were going to try and move up from five to three to take the player. I know that uh, the Browns were hoping that he'd be available for them when they picked. Um, they'd love to reunite Thomas with Nick Chubb. So, uh, yeah, I think the Giants made the made a very, very strong pick there. Xavier McKinney, I believe that depending on who you ask, McKinney and, and Delpert, uh, Grant Delpert were the two top safeties in this draft, and the Cal- and the Giants getting that player at at, at 36 was was outstanding. Uh, Matt Pert is rock solid, offensive line. Holmes, the cornerback from UCLA, is a position they need, and they did well there. But I want to mention another player. I'm not a Giants fan, so I don't have a horse in the race, but with their seven round pick and picked 218 they took Carter Coughlin from Minnesota and I watched a lot of Minnesota football this year and then a lot of a lot of stuff on him after the after the season was over but Minnesota was really in the college football playoff race until very very late in the season and most of you know one of the main reasons was because of Carter Coughlin and he's when you watch him play you could see some of those previous Patriot linebackers as comparisons. He kind of, he's not big, he's not fast, he's not strong, but his instincts are terrific. If there's a fumble recovered or a forced fumble or a sack, you could almost guarantee it's Carter Coughlin. And, you know, when when I look at him, he kind of has the instincts of rushing the passer like Car- like um, like T.J. Watt and kind of has some of the instincts of the old Rabel Bruschi uh, linebacking combo at New England. Uh, I know people are going to be you know raving about the Giants' early picks, but Carter Coughlin is a guy I think people should keep an eye on. He is just one of these football players that coaches love, and I could see why with the Patriot way them taking that player. So outstanding draft by the Giants. Early and often with their picks, and then kind of late. I love the Carter Coughlin pick. 
Uh, let me just ask you a question, Was You know, is one thing we haven't really touched upon, and, and after the draft ends, there are a number of players that are taken, uh, assigned as free agents, guys that are not drafted. And I, I, I paid closer attention to, to my home team, the Giants, and took a look at what they did, and, and I figured they would actually address a little bit, maybe some depth at, at wide receiver, and they did actually um, sign three different guys, including a, a six seven kid from – uh, British Columbia named Rice and John. So I, when I see a six seven receiver, I start thinking about Harold Carmichael uh, back in the end zone type stuff. And you know the other guy that they signed afterwards was was a kid from you know we talked about Michigan, but Javon Leak averaged seven point two yards a carry last year at Maryland. Excuse me, uh, and that's where McFarland from uh, who the Steelers drafted as well. Is that something that you that you when you look at things like that, does that kind of open your eye a little bit when you see players like that that get taken after the draft? You have to you have, you have to look at some of these guys. I mean, you know, uh, one guy that comes to mind right off the bat is someone like Philip Lindsay. Uh, so once in a while, a team will find a guy a dime in the rough. Uh, they have players that they kind of kept their eye on, and uh, yeah, I think I think it's always an interesting aspect right after the draft. These little moves that teams make. Uh, so I, I think I think it's, a, it's certainly something to keep your eye on, especially considering the fact that the Giants did not address anybody really on the offensive side uh, in terms of skill positions. Yep. Yep. Phenomenal. Okay. Well, let's move down to Turnpike to Philadelphia, uh, Harry Roseman um, and the Philadelphia Eagles. And I, I think we're going to probably have a lot of discussions about what transpired here. Cause you know, you and I uh, talked a little bit about who we thought they could take at receiver at 21. We, we thought they were going in that direction. Uh, they went with Jalen Rieger from TCU. Um, they surprised probably a few people uh, by taking Jalen Hurts, and, and you've discussed him already. I'll let you discuss the situation a little bit more. You know, I, I would just say one thing that Carson Wentz in, in his short career has already missed 14 games. I don't see him as kind of, you know, a, a potential replacement. But, you know, if Carson Wentz were to go down, you know, there's, there's some intrigue there with the pick of Jalen Hurts. You know, I think you'll talk a little bit more about a little bit of the track team aspect of what they're trying to do, too. John Hightower from Boise State, a uh, kid from Southern Mississippi, Kez Watkins as well. But I think, you know, some folks have noted that Kevon Wallace, the safety from Clemson, Probably didn't belong to be at 127. That's who they took at that selection. Uh, and they also took the linebacker from Colorado, Davion Taylor. So, uh, and, and the one other thing I will add is they made a trade for Marquise Goodwin. So there is some speed in the Philadelphia receiving core now outside of uh, Alshon Jeffrey. What's your color on, on this particular draft, Wiz? Yeah, so I think... I thought the Jalen Rieger pick was a bit of a head scratch to me. I like the player, um, but I think he is the type of player that you have for a specific kind of offense. I think with his speed and his quickness, you kind of want to use him in a lot of jet sweeps, uh, you know, get the ball to him deep, let him do some double moves, uh, very, very fast, very quick receiver. But in terms of being polished, um, I'm just surprised they didn't take Justin Jefferson. The only question about Justin Jefferson was maybe is just how fast he was. Um, he was quick. He knows how to get open, but he removed all doubt in with a, with a extremely fast 40 time. So I, I was a little bit of a head scratcher. Jalen Hurts, I thought, was a, a, a horrible pick. Um, 
you know, so I don't really, it's not that I dislike the player. When I look at this, it's not like I'm just analyzing the player. It's the value, where they took him. And I just think there were better quarterbacks that are going to be better quarterbacks in his league that were taking 50, 70, 90 picks after Jalen Hurts. I don't like that pick at pick 53 in round two for them. I thought actually the, the Eagles did better with like picks three through like the next five picks, like, you know, Davion Taylor from Colorado. You mentioned Wallace, Kevon Wallace from Clemson. I like that pick. Hightower from Boise is a good pick. Um, some of the picks they made very at the very end of the draft were pretty good. I, I was surprised. I think they have something in mind for Rieger in that offense. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start putting in these packages where – you know, where, Hurt, where where Wentz lines up at wide receiver and Hurts comes in a game, similar to what the Saints have been doing with Taysom Hill, and they kind of run these options with either Boston Scott or Miles Sanders and, and throw the ball a little bit to Hurts. But, I mean, in my view, if you're taking this player just to be the backup quarterback to Carson Wentz, and, and that's the position he's going to play, I thought it was a uh, uh, you know, a, a bad pick, quite frankly, at pick 53. Uh, again, it's not that I dislike the player so much, but I'm looking at it like the player taken where? And I just don't think at that value, 53 overall, it was a, it was a good pick. All right, fantastic. And uh, we'll go a little further south now. We're going to go to the Washington Redskins, Ron Rivera's first year as coach. Um I don't think there was a lot of mystery. We talked about this uh, previous to the draft that Chase Young was going to probably be the selection here, and he was the Ohio State uh, defensive player who had a really tremendous season last year. Uh, and then it gets a little bit more interesting after that where you know the Redskins didn't have a lot of picks in this draft. Pretty surprising, a guy that I've kind of had my eye on, that's Antonio Gibson from, from Memphis, but going pretty early at 66. Um, they take a chance on a guy who had some issues off the field, and that's Sadiq, Sadiq Charles, uh, the lineman from LSU. You know, they did grant Trent Williams his wish. They ended up trading him off to the 49ers. And with their fourth-round selection, they get Antonio Gold, uh, Gandy-Golden from Liberty, the tall tall receiver from the smaller conference school. So, Wiz, is this a, is this a draft that, you know, we know the Redskins weren't a great team coming into this. I look at this, and it doesn't say that the Redskins are going to be a hell of a lot better, but are there some intriguing choices here? I think the Redskins came into the draft as being a bad team, and I think they've left the draft as being a bad team. Um, so Chase Young, is, you know, you know, people can make the argument he was the best player in the draft, and you know, we could, that could be debated. But I, I, you know, I could see someone's point of uh, about that being tr- true. But so you're picking second overall, and then between picks two and picks one hundred eight, you have one pick. In 106 picks, you have one pick, and they take Antonio Gibson from Memphis, who I like. I just don't see the path for that player. They 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 really have hopes that Geis is going to stay healthy. They still got Peterson. They signed Peyton Barber. 
I don't see that as being the pick. I see they might want to use him as a gadget player. So, you know, he's a, I just don't think for the Redskins he was the right pick there. However, I think the other outstanding pick that they did make was the player that you mentioned. I like Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. I think he could be the outside guy, pair him up with McLaurin. They still have other good young receivers. Uh, they, I know they like. I know you like Sims as well, and the yep. Redskins like him. I do. But I, I see a path for Gandy Golden to get in there as certainly a starting receiver uh, opposite McLaurin. But the Antonio Gibson pick, when you need so much and you have other players at running back, and you just signed a player in the offseason at running back, it was a head-scratcher, and I thought the other picks were not good as well. All right, so that's going to segue into what I believe is going to be a very similar tone uh, from you on, on, on this particular team, and we're going to go to the, NF, uh, to the NFC North now, and that's uh, the Chicago Bears, who did not have a first-round pick. That was part of the Khalil Mack trade. Um, Somehow, with nine or ten tight ends already on the roster, they decided to go with Cole Komet at number 43. Um, You know, we've talked a little bit about the Utah defense back and forth. Jalen Jennings was their pick at 50. The the Bears were one of the teams to have two picks in the second round. And they tried to bolster their defense and offensive line the rest of the way. Uh, Tulsa's linebacker, Travis Gibson, and the cornerback from Georgia Southern, Kendall Vildor. So, Wiz, I, I know, you know, we questioned a lot of stuff that was going on in Chicago last season. I'm sure you're going to have a little bit more of that with this particular assessment. Yeah, I thought the Bears had one of the handful of teams that had a horrendous draft. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I, I I like only two picks, and it's certainly not Cole Kmet from Notre Dame with, with, with their first overall pick of the draft. That's the guy you're waiting for, the entire draft to pick, after you have tight ends, off-season tight end signings. And I didn't even have it. It was my two or three best tight ends to draft. It was a horrendous pick. I liked the Jalen Johnson, as we've talked about. Utah had a bunch of NFL prospects. Jalen Johnson, certainly one of them, a player that could easily be graded with first-round talent. I like the pick. The wide receiver they took you know, in the fifth round is interesting to me, Mooney from Tulane. Um, but after that, I, I thought Cole Komet starting that draft, and they only had seven picks. Just a horrible draft by the Bears. There's no other way to say it, really. Oh, you're going to make my Bear friends uh, very sad. I, I got a good friend out there who, who lives and dies with the Bears, and uh, I, I know he struggled a lot. Uh, he, with he's the... going to die with them. <laughs> he's going to die with them. He's uh, not going to be Clive, with I hope you're listening to this, so it's not good. <laughs> All right, well, the Detroit Lions um, – we were wondering who they were going to go, which direction. They ended up going with Jeff Akuda at the third slot, the Ohio State cornerback. Um, surprised us maybe at, at with their section, second selection at number 35, which was DeAndre Swift, who I thought potentially could sneak into the first round. Doesn't really spell a lot of good things for on Johnson, who struggled to stay on the field. And then, you know, probably some value picks along the way. Uh, Julian Aquara from, uh, from, from Notre Dame. A couple of offensive linemen, uh, Jonah Jackson from Ohio State and Logan Steinberg from uh, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, and then just filler parts on their roster: Wisconsin wide receiver Quintez Cephas and a couple of defensive parts late in the round. So, 
Matt Patricia, defensive guy. You know, is this a guy that you think you could build your defense around uh, at this point, Wiz? And and I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say about the rest of this draft. Yeah, well, I love the Jeff Okuda pick. He was clearly the top quarterback. That was a position they needed. Um, you know, could they have taken Derek Brown? Yeah, that was another another player that would have fit perfectly for them. But oh, in this day and age, with the way the offenses work, you got to have somebody that could cover people. He's a willing tackler also. Um, DeAndre Swift was, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, when you look at these picks, you have to take in consideration the talent of the player, where they were taken, and what you have on your existing roster. And when you take all of those things into consideration, DeAndre Swift is a head-scratcher to me. Um, You know, it's just only a couple of years ago where Kerryon Johnson has proven he could stay on the field. He can be an elite running back in this league, I believe catching the ball, running the ball. I, I think he just hasn't had the chance either due to poor coaching in his rookie year and, and not being able to stay on the field. So I, I like DeAndre Swift as a player. I had him in a group of like four or five running backs at the top. He wasn't a standalone player as far as I was concerned. The pick was a head scratcher. As you mentioned, Julian Oquare from Notre Dame, outstanding pick in the third round. Jonah Jackson, another outstanding pick. And then at the end of the draft again, John Pennacini from Utah to Utah top players all know how to play defense and I thought I'd pick 197 an outstanding pick but the DeAndre Swift I thought they could have done a lot more damage and a lot more to help their team considering their current roster than DeAndre Swift so that that's that's the only holdback I have to this draft was I thought they botched that pick all right, that's great. Yeah, we're going to see what that means, uh, you know, certainly come uh, come the start of the season and how things play out in, uh, in, in, in the preseason camps. So, off to the Green Bay Packers. And, um, you know, I don't know what takes place before a pick like this ends up happening. This is a little different situation. I know some tried to compare to what happened with Aaron Rodgers 15 years ago when, when he was selected by the Green Bay Packers. But... You know, the Packers made a decision to trade up to get Jordan Love with the 26th overall pick. Um, You know, I'm going to let you uh, espouse about that. Uh, A.J. Dillon, you know, they had a very talented running back last year in in Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones is a little slighter. A.J. Dillon is a big boy. Maybe Matt LaFleur sees something similar to what he had in Derrick Henry when he was in Tennessee. Um, you know, the fact that there were 37 wide receivers drafted uh, through three days and the Green Bay Packers took none of them, um, to me, I'm in, I'm in a state of shock about that. Uh, you know, they go with a, a, a not a terrific tight end prospect in Josiah DeGora uh, at pick 94. And then they fill their roster in with a couple of offensive line uh, selections. John Runyon's kid, John Runyon from Michigan. Um, Jake Hansen, the center from Oregon. They're going to need some help on the offensive line because they lost a couple of players. And, and, you know, you mentioned Minnesota before, but Kamal Martin from uh, the linebacker from Minnesota as well. So, you know, I don't know if any conversation took place with Aaron Rodgers beforehand, but certainly there's going to be a lot of speculation about that first round pick. Uh, The Green Bay Packers had a horrendous draft. It started out horrendous and it basically stayed that way. So you have three elite offensive players on your roster, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron, uh, 
uh, Darren Jones uh, and and Devontae Adams. And what do you do? Your first two picks are two guys that eventually are going to you know replace those positions when you need a whole lot more. Um, AJ Dillon's fine. I think he'll be a good bad bad weather running back. Um, I, I maybe they made the pick with the intentions of using Jones more out of the backfield, throwing the ball to him, where he he really improved much last year, and I think they want to expand on that and uh and aj dylan you know be more of the main ball carrier um but the rest of the draft was not good and the jordan love thing i don't understand it i don't understand you know i think they could if they really wanted to get a quarterback they could have waited and waited and got a, a, a quarterback and not only to take this quarterback in their first round to lose a pick by trading up over teams and leapfrogging teams that were never going to take a quarterback is just poor management. Uh, and I, I just think they had a horrendous draft. And I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, I know it's very early and these things are fun to do. Uh, so I'm going to make one right now. I think this is how it's going to play out in Green Bay. I think Green Bay is going to have a horrible year. And things are going to end for Aaron Rodgers the way they began. I think it began with him playing behind Brett Favre and like Brett Favre having that ugly situation with the Packer organization and then Brett Favre moving to another team and Aaron Rodgers taking over. And I think it's going to end that way. I think Aaron Rodgers at the end of the year is going to have a terrible season, not him personally, but the Packers will. And I think he is going to demand a trade. I think my prediction is he'll be quarterbacking for another team in 2021. Jordan Love era will start in Green Bay in 2021, and that's how I see it going. Aaron Rodgers is signed to four more years. There's no way this pick was made with the intentions of Jordan Love sitting on the bench for three or four years. No way. So I think all parties are kind of going to be okay with Aaron Rodgers leaving and that's my prediction, and that's how I think it's going to play out. I love early season predictions. I absolutely love it. So, fantastic. And we're going to move to your Minnesota Vikings, who ended up finishing this draft through trades and everything with 14 picks. I know you're super excited about their first pick, and you should be, and Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver at 22. Two guys out of the secondary, Jeff Gladney from TCU at 31, they get Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State at 89. Some underrated defenders in, in DJ Wonham from South Carolina, played alongside um, Kinlaw. Um, Troy Dye from Oregon, very interesting stat. He led his team in tackles all four years at Oregon. And I know you like the offensive tackle from Boise State, Ezra Cleveland. So I'm not going to go any further. I want Wiz to talk about his Vikings. Yeah, I, you know, the Vikings had a lot of picks. I'll say that, you know, uh, Mike Zimmer, in my opinion, is to defensive players kind of like what Andy Reid is to offensive players. He really has a good knack for drafting. And if you look at this, I mean, drafting defensive players, and if you look at this draft with all their picks, you see cornerback, cornerback, defensive end, defensive pack, linebacker, cornerback, safety, defensive end, safety. Uh, a bunch of these picks are on the defensive end. It started out, I, I don't see any way that the Vikings ever dreamed, unless there were two of those elite receivers on the board going to the, you know, when the Eagles were that they were going to end up with Justin Jefferson. Uh, I think they probably 
made that pick in, in like three seconds and make sure the Eagles didn't change their mind after they uh, picked. So that was good. Gladney is, is an interesting player. Um, tough, tough kid from TCU. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He's a more than willing tackler and cornerback, something that you look for. And Ezra Cleveland from Boise State was simply an outstanding pick uh, value-wise at pick 58. So I thought they started off, you know, top three picks, great pick, great pick, great pick. And then the rest of the way was okay. And, uh, you know, I think Zimmer has some ideas on some of these players. So it started out great for the Vikings. They had a lot of picks and you just have to see how some of these guys play out. If, you, if I think they're, they're, they're sure about the first three and then they're hoping maybe two or three of the other picks pan out. And if that's the case, I think it'll be an, an outstanding standing um, draft for the Vikings. All right, fabulous. If John Cooper was here, he'd be giving you a do-do-do right now. I'm not going to do it, but uh, fantastic. He loves it, yep. <laughs> well, we're going to move on in our next episode to the rest of the NFC, but uh, Wiz, this was a lot of fun, and uh, catch you on the backside. Got it. <laughs>